So we haven't done reviews in a while. No, and I think it's time that we kind of we rehash these beautiful things. People go out of their way to uh, to write a five star review for the pod. We may as well pay them back. Except for the jackass who gave us a one star uh, yeah. on September twenty eighth. Kyle and Co are insufferable. Thank you. Thank you I mean, for that's... your detailed feedback he, might, he's right that might be true she. but yeah but at least give us a five-star review i'm now yeah, you could from... say what if you leave five stars you could say whatever we'll want and, and we will read what's on the prompter it is true uh, no adam today by the way at least right now no adam but he might wake up and be here you never know you the never old, know with a left co it's like roulette when there's a thursday night football game the night before we've been doing pretty well about all three of us being here every day but I say that, but then last week you weren't in the one, so maybe that's not true. Um, let's take a look at a few five-star reviews really quick right off the top. Don't forget, go on to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review. Even if you love or hate us, leave a five-star review. It helps us get a little bit more visibility, and it also helps your review get more visibility. If you leave a one-star review, it doesn't do anything. It just kind of wrecks you as a human being as well. So five-star review regardless. Um, I kind of remember reading a few of these, I think, from a while ago, but I'll, I'll just cover a couple. Uh, on the 12th, we had Jason Moyle say thanks for the alter or the alternative sports talk radio. We wanted to know when Sims is uh, going to be joining on the pod to uh, talk about whence. Um, there was this person, Sierra Nicole 13. The uh, title of the review hijacked my girlfriend's Mac to leave a review and left what might be the longest review in the history of Apple Podcasts, at least for Crossing Broadcast, um, talking about the fact that uh, this guy used his girlfriend's Mac to leave a five-star review, talk about the fact that going to podcasts from radio uh, have forced him to leave his comfort zone, but he uh, he was pretty Talks excited. about the Eagles' defensive core. Uh, somewhere yeah, in here he gets into Nigel Bradham punching a cabana a boy. This is a very impressive review. Very it's impressed. Just, it's a lot. It, it's a lot. Uh, and then, finally, on October 19th, we had uh, A Divorcee's Dream by Snazzy Shoes 19 I like this. Fun banter, even though it must be hard to add that intro-outro music. And then the person goes on to say, no zip recruiter or blue apron yet. Come on, advertisers, they're worth it. Well, I'd like to think that Snazzy Shoes 19 helped us nail down that uh, sponsorship that we have with uh, Kyle. Let's go ahead. Uh, Cozy Jewelers. Yeah, no, uh, no zip recruiter or blue apron, but we do have Cozy Jewelers in Delaware County in beautiful Newtown Square in the Edgemont Shopping Center. Uh, tell you tell you guys told you guys about them on our last show they're our new sponsor they're sponsoring anthony's flyers content on the website as well uh look it's it's already november excuse me it's the holiday season uh if you are in the market for jewelry for the holiday or just looking to buy your girlfriend or wife or whatever a necklace ring or just make her feel special. Um, we want to tell you about Cozy Jewelers, family owned and operated. They are friends of the website, friends of the show. They were voted uh, best of the main line in 2017. Uh, if you go in there anytime between now and Black Friday, and you could find them at CozyJewelers.com, C-O-Z-Z-I Jewelers.com, uh, like I said, in Newtown Square and the Edgemont Shopping Center. Go there anytime between now and Black Friday, you get 20% off. Anything you buy, which I believe this is their Black Friday sale, and for Crossing Broad listeners, readers, they're extending it. So just walk in there and mention Crossing Broad, and you'll get 20% off. I know sales guy Kurt walked out of there with two Movado watches uh, last week, so they have good stuff. Um, Interestingly, 
And you usually don't get this. I've done a lot of sponsorship stuff on the website. You rarely get feedback about a sponsor. When I tweeted about Cozy the other day, we got a handful of people um, raving uh, affirmatively that, yes, indeed, they are quite good. One guy um, really stood out. He said, these guys are excellent. I get a lot of stuff there. And they get just good guys who works there, who work there. So, and this was without us prodding. It was just a simple link to Cozy Jewelers. So, take it from them. I think believe they have four point seven or four point nine stars on Google reviews. And there's they're four point nine, four point nine, and they have better. a five star review on Yelp. And let's be honest, if you go on to Yelp or Google review to leave a review, usually it's critical. So the fact that these guys are rocking four point nine and five respectively says a lot about about their business and about the people that own it. I, I agree. And and by the way, it is tis the time of year to pop the question, as we saw at the end of the World Series game the other night. If you are in the market for that, or if your name is Adam, potentially, and you need to <laughs> buy a ring, um, the guys at Cozy Jewelers will walk you through the process, the four Cs. Trust me. Trust two guys who've done it. It can be confusing and, and intimidating. Don't let it be. They will walk you through. They will explain how they source their diamonds. They will build you a custom ring. And oh, by the way, if you mention Crossing Broad, when you do that, you will save $500 off the ring. And um, I don't think you need to mention Crossing Broad for this, but you will have 0% financing is available for one year if you don't have cash on hand to pay for it, which I wouldn't blame That's you if you did it. It always sure a good is. Way to go. So that's uh, so. Check out Cozy Jewelers, C O Z Z I Jewelers. dot com. They're in Newtown Square. Go in any time this holiday season, but if you go in now through Black Friday, you'll save up to twenty percent off your order. Or at any time, you can get five dollars off a uh, five hundred dollars off a custom engagement ring by mentioning Crossing Broad. So thanks to Cozy again for sponsoring us. Kyle, did you ever have an awful experience at a jewelry store? I could tell you that I had one of the worst ones, and it and it prevented me from buying a, a ring at a certain place. Uh, yes, I, I have, um, but I will say that the 4.9 reviews for our friends at Cozy, uh, tell me that that wouldn't be the case. Exactly. Like they wouldn't have the kind of person who looks at you and when you're looking at a ring, say, that's all you're going to get. You should really get a bigger, get a a bigger rock for her. No, Cozy's not going to do that. Cozy's not going to pressure you. I will tell, I will, but I will pressure you. Always get the bigger rock. A nice laid-back dis- experience. It'll be good. If you're deciding on size or clarity, go with the size. No one. It's like a TV. No one ever wishes mm. they got a smaller TV. Mm. It's like a car. No one ever wishes they got a smaller, uh, a slower car. No one ever wishes they got the smaller ring. Um, just putting that out there, gentlemen. Plus, you save five hundred dollars. Five hundred's a lot. Like in in the grand scheme of of custom engagement rings, five hundred bucks really does go a long way. So way to go, cozy. You're rocking it. So let's talk a little bit about Gabe Kapler's introductory press conference. Your Howard obsession, I- your obsession with Gabe Kapler, I think has has exceeded anything I've ever experienced you liking. First of all, maybe, maybe from a blogging standpoint, a a former blogger, health nut slash guy with some weird uh, thoughts already posted out there, plus being super progressive and sports sciency and a hard ass in a town that doesn't always value that sort of thing. He's like sort of a gift. If Chiff Kelly was a gift, this guy is like a new holiday for me. Um, that said, Howard Eskin asked him about tanning his balls uh, and asked him about coconut oil in the introductory press conference. Um, I tweeted the video. It went a touch viral late yesterday afternoon and last night. Amazing. Seriously, one of my favorite all-time moments in in like Philly sports media interaction because – I was going to tweet before the press conference, Dear Phillies Media, 
there is a way to ask Gabe Kapler about tanning his balls without asking him about coconut oil or tanning his balls. And you could kind of beat around the bush. And I thought Howard was going to do it. Like, there's some interesting stuff on your blog. I think everybody knows what we're talking about. You know, is it, is it weird for you to have that out there now that you're kind of a more public figure and it's you know, people are noticing it? That would have been the way to ask it. Howard just threw out the word coconut oil, the phrase coconut oil, and uh, things got awkward there for a minute. So uh, I, I, I credit Eskin as much as I don't like him for asking that question and then following up with a question. I guess Kapler and the Dodgers are involved in some lawsuit with Terry Francona's son who was had post traumatic yeah. stress and was fired from the Dodgers. Like that's a that's a reasonable question to ask. Um and I thought both he and Kapler handled it well. To me, Kapler is shockingly self confident, the sort of guy who like addresses people by name and stares at them. The sort of self confidence that's almost like not fake at all, but like weird. Like, okay, you don't need to like look at me directly in the eyes and punctuate your question, bookend your question with my name. Like, we got it. Um, but I he thought he handled himself pretty well. Did you watch it? I did. Did you realize that your tweet was posted on Sports Illustrated's website? That's why it went viral. Did you know that? No, I think it went before that. There was some all right. well, blue it was check posted. marks tweeting it. All right. Well, it was posted on an essay article. The headline uh, did read quite a uh, quite a bit about the uh, coconut oil. Yeah, you got to give Howard a little bit of credit. Like the the Francona thing is something that I think everybody was afraid to ask because it's I don't know. I kind of go back to like the Andy Reid days of of like uh, God, I'm trying to remember who they were introducing. There was a I think it was when Dawkins was kind of let go to go to Denver. Was that the Stacey Andrews? press conference where where they tried to ask him about Dawkins and then he goes, No no no, this is Stacy's day. This is Stacy's day. I feel like that's how a lot of those beat reporters were kind of handling the uh the Gabe press conference. Like they didn't want to touch on the Francona thing. I think they were gonna wait until another day. They wanted it to just kind of, you know keep it on on task maybe. But Howard, to his credit, you know, said he wanted to get the question out of the way so it doesn't, I guess, linger over him, which I I don't know, to some extent I guess I respect. But Leave it to Howard to be the one to bring up the a uh, risque post from from the guy's blog. I had a few different feelings on Gabe Kapler's uh, introductory press conference. It's a really good thing that he spent that year at, at FS1. It was at least a year, I think. Um, he seemed like a guy who knew how to work a room, which is a, which is a good thing. Now, when I sat there listening to some of his answers, I kind of thought the guy sounds like a loon, in kind of a good way, in kind of a like. I don't know when you're dealing with, with young players if they're going to roll their eyes at the guy or if he really is going to be such a good communicator that they're going to buy in. I'm well, kind of leaning... come on their home I'm, turf I'm, to I'm going to... Stop. I'm going to kind he of... Uh, I heard you. Uh, I, I think he's going to actually connect with them pretty well. I think if he were coming into a veteran team, I don't think it would have worked. Like, I, I don't think that his style might have necessarily played well. Like, I think those guys would have been dismissive of his thoughts. But a young, moldable team, like, I, I could see it working, and especially because they know that he's coming from a team that was just in the World Series, and he oversaw, you know, a few of those guys coming up through the minors, like Bellinger. Like, there's a lot to be excited about. Bellinger nothing... sucked in Game 7, by the way. He did. He did. I think he was the one that made the final out. That was a, a really interesting series, by the way. I know that we don't really get into national stories like that all that much, but, like, a Game 7 in Dodger Stadium, like, that, 
that ended yeah. up being a, a really impressive but, series that I slept through most of. But me too. And the but the the series was good. Game seven was dreadful. Cody Bell, Bellinger made what the error at first in the beginning, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He threw it he, away. Yeah, and he struck three. out uh, with men on base, like kind of dreadfully. And they were remarking about how he was out of sorts. I didn't realize. I didn't remember who made the last out. So not a great day for him. Um, to your point about about Kapler and the players respecting him. I mean, I do think he's going to be able to communicate with them. He mentioned using text. I mean, I think it definitely helps when you come on their home turf, as he said. Um, You're the only one laughing. I'm not. I, I just, I enjoy the phrase. I enjoy it. I'm not surprised. Um, but I do, you know, first of all, when you're the strongest guy in the room, like Kapler's going to walk into that weight room and be stronger than probably everybody in there. And to me, like that backs up what you're saying. If you're telling a guy that he needs to run harder and he's rolling his eyes and you're Pete McCannon and, you know, you go home and put your grandfather's sweater on and get in your Cadillac, it's one thing. If you tell a guy he needs to run harder and then you see him in the weight room after the game and you're doubling his cleans or whatever, that that puts a little – that backs up what you're saying. Yeah, there's – listen, there's a lot to be said about that. You played, what, hockey in high school? Do you play anything else? And baseball. Okay. So then you, you'll understand this. Uh, when, when you are playing a sport, especially as a young guy, the one thing that you want to see is that your coach looks like somebody who should play your sport, right? Like that, that is a thing. You want to see that the guy looks like he's active. Like if you've got a portly guy who can't keep up on the field or on the court or whatever it is that you're playing, and you just kind of look at him like, you know, this guy doesn't have any legitimacy from a from an athletic perspective. Like, there is a, a bit more of a difficult time, I think, having buy-in at that point uh, until until you kind of show that you're able to do things or, or like, you crush the weight room, which Kapler, in, in many ways, I think, is going to relate to these guys. Like, that's why when I heard, you know, they were going to sign a 42-year-old guy to be their manager, like, that's exciting from the standpoint that, like, I'm I'm not really a big fan of the signing a 60 year old guy to to manage a young team. Like that, maybe it's just me, but like I I do like the idea of a younger guy relating to younger players. I don't think it's something where he's gonna lose the locker room early, which is what could happen, I guess theoretically with a young coach. Like I I do think it it could work out. Well, look at the two World Series teams. You had Dave Roberts and AJ Hinch, both relatively young guys who were former players fairly recently. Um, so yeah, I do think that helps. I think it's probably overblown that a guy needs to have played a game, but yes, does it help if I think we saw it with Chip Kelly, here's a guy who, you know, hasn't really played competitive football, what beyond high school or what D2 college or whatever he was doing, um, coming from college and trying to implement entirely new ways. Kapler can back it up a little bit, both with his physical abilities and the fact that he was in player development for the Dodgers. He was on TV. He won a World Series not too long ago with the Red Sox. Like He's played for a lot of teams. He's played against some of the guys in the league who are still in the league. Uh, Yeah, I do think that stuff goes a long way. Uh, You mentioned me playing in high school. I'll just note that one of my hockey coaches once told us that no one on the team should whack off the night before a game because it would drain our energy. So him and Gabe might want to have a talk because they seem to have divergent viewpoints on things. Um, Anyway, I I thought he handled himself well. The new age stuff, I think maybe Adam and I berated him a little bit too much, and it's too easy to joke about some of the stuff. There's definitely new age pseudoscience in some of his writings. No two ways about it. That said, he's not like Kyrie Irving and declaring that we have never gone to space and that the earth is flat. 
most of the stuff on there is is very positive nutritionally based like if you follow everything he says to do are you going to wind up doing some weird things like eating grasshoppers in the dugout which is actually something he posited um because they're high in protein Uh, have you ever tried them no and i don't i have no interest have you i i was i you know i had thought about it for a while but but no no no. probably stop no uh i had considered it but because i have spider crickets in my basement that surround me at any given point uh, I'm staying away from cricket-looking things. So if you wind, if you wind up following, it's like Fear this. Factor. Every time I record this podcast, it's like Fear Factor. Maybe it you should call worst. an exterminator. I, just, you know what? That's saying. expensive. I'll just run I away mean, from them. Yeah, you know, like seventy-five bucks, you can get rid of your spider crickets. I would think. If it's only seventy-five bucks, then I should have done it months ago. But I, I have a bad feeling that's not going to be the cost. Anyway. Uh, so so anyway, if you follow everything that he does, are you going to wind up doing some weird things that probably really aren't based in actual science, like tanning your balls? Let's be honest. Um, yeah, probably. But you're also going to wind up being much healthier. Most of the stuff he writes is is pretty mainstream health stuff. Hey, eat these quality foods. Eat leafy greens. You could f- follow it up with a good quality steak every once in a while. It's not going to kill you. He's also a fan of good whiskey. He has a post about how black organic coffee is just fine for you and actually has many benefits, which I would agree with. So, And he even mentions that it's fine to have a drink or two at night. Like He, he cites some studies and everything he writes is not just like him throwing shit at the wall. He'll find a study. Um, the problem is you could pretty much find a study for everything. We talked about this when we talked about our the whole vegan thing. Like you could find a study to prove pretty much anything you want. And I feel like some of his writings did that. But that said, they're very well written. He does source stuff and back it up with opinion and second opinions and and um, opposing dissenting opinions. So like I don't think he's a he's a whack job. He's just a little bit new age in some of the health stuff, and I don't, I don't think that will rub players the wrong way. I think if anything, he seems like he's going to be a genuine hard ass, and he's going to be mixing his hard ass with some really new, unique, and interesting ways of going about business. And let's be honest, you're talking with a lot of guys who are young twenty somethings, some of whom who have already tasted success and and are, you know, borderline set for life or will be set for life soon. It's harder to do that. You know, when you're a player developmental, the player developmental guy with the Dodgers and you're dealing with minor leaguers, it's easier because they'll do anything to make it. But once guys have made it, we saw this with Chip Kelly, it's just a little bit more difficult. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I'm looking forward to the Philly media isn't sure how to handle this guy thing. I do think we've come a long way even since Chip Kelly and Sam Hinkie. Um, but Kapler's going to be real intense. And as, as friendly and as confident as he was yesterday and as respectful of every question, even the bad ones, um, when he's asked after, like someone asked him a question about are you a big ball or small ball guy, which, by the way, also enjoyed that exchange. He um, didn't, I would say he's a big ball guy, but um, that is not a like a uh, sabermetric question. You could feel Kapler rolling his eyes in his head because that, you know, that is the most old school way to ask a question. Oh, are you a small ball guy? Or are you, are you progressive? That has nothing to do with anything. And he answered it well, but when he gets that question after a seven to two loss, why didn't you guys play more small ball? There's a reasonable chance he throws the table over. Yeah, um, he's going to punch somebody in the head. Yeah, That'll be great. Yeah. 
Yeah, rip his shirt off the and nice flip thing, the table. Well, so. the nice thing is that we know that he can flip the table. He's not going to throw his back out doing it. Did you notice he couldn't get his suit team. jacket off? Yeah, I saw. That was that was incredible. He wears an Apple Watch, by the way. I respect him for that. Oh, my goodness. Well, look at that. That's no I guess, surprise. Uh, we'll have to have him on as a guest. Just kidding. I think you would die. I, that would I, have to be... I sw- like, if we ever managed to get Kapler on this podcast, I think it would have to be, like, Adam and I doing the uh, the interview. You would just be sitting in a corner, reading his blog posts out loud in a in a very sultry voice. No, because I feel like him and I are kindred spirits. He's a blogger. Right, that's like, great. when you have a manager in there getting asked by Howard Eskin about his blog, like, we have, we have gone full 2017 here. I feel like Kapler would respect an, an operation like this. The only um, way that it could get better is if he shows up to the ballpark or to spring training wearing Under Armour sweatpants. I'll stop. Like, I uh, think that I'm, – I'm just saying. Like, I think at that point, then we know that he's – or a Trust the Process shirt. Then we know that he reads your blog, and then we know that, that you've made it. He's a full Trust the Process guy. Speaking of new age guys who trust the process, Sam Henke uh, emerges yesterday with – Came back from the dead. Serious shade tweeting a link to an SI.com article about the Astros, which I guess three years ago there was a cover that called the Astros 2017 yeah. champs. With Springer sort of on the cheek. cover. Yeah, it was, yes. it was good. No, it was, it was I think it said uh, ba- baseball's best prophecy or great prophecy, or, or uh, it was the the new one, and the last one was uh, baseball's best experiment or something like that. So, yeah, like it, it's essentially the same cover three years later. It's awesome. Like That was a great job by whoever Hink- did that for SI. Hanky tweets, I love when a plan comes together. Yep. Genuine shade. Do you think at some point the Sixers should acknowledge him? They're never going to. I know, they're not. It doesn't matter if... if, I mean, honestly, it doesn't matter if we want them to or not. Like, they never will. Uh, I think, like... And if... I think if you put their feet to the fire, they would mention the fact that Colangelo, when he first got introduced, Brian, not, not his daddy, Jerry. When Brian got introduced at his press conference, he actually did say something along the lines of... Um, you know, Sam acquired assets for us that are going to be useful going forward. Like he mentioned the name once he mentioned his predecessor, I think twice or something like that. So I think they're going to say that that's, that's about all they need. And, and there was that quote, I think after draft night or the draft lottery where, um, Josh Harris said something like, you know, I, I called Sam to thank him or like, I, I got to give him a kiss or something like that. So like, I think they've, they've done at least to their, uh, to what they would consider to be okay they've they've essentially you know done done all they're gonna do when See, it comes I, to sam and i think it's a shame like i i do think that the biggest issue that i have with it is you know houston did a very similar thing to what the sixers were trying with hanky and they didn't force the guy out like manfred or uh like yeah i guess manfred was the only was he the only commissioner at that point Probably I don't think I don't see like there for like the yep. last year or whatever. Yep. But like they didn't force that GM out; they allowed it to go on. I guess part of that is because there were minor league systems, and you could say that, oh, all right, look, like they're making their minor league system better, and like there's a, a different idea of how long it's supposed to take a draft pick to uh, to develop. But like in the NBA, with with revenue sharing, you know, God forbid anybody you know takes advantage of the system, they force Tinky out you know, so fast, and, and look, the, the process has worked to some extent, but, you know, you kind of are going to always be wonder, like, left wondering what could have been, like, what, what decisions would he have made, or which ones wouldn't he have made, I still think it's weird that he hasn't come back to the NBA, I, he's going to be at the Sloan Analytics Conference, um, 
Which here's what here's what I would be interesting. But here's what I would say about that. It hasn't. I mean, it's obviously it's worked. And my guess is now his phone will start ringing that we're seeing it on the floor a little bit. Whether they ever win a championship or not is kind of a moot point. It, it certainly looks like what he did has has put a team in a really enviable position. But if I'm him, I wait a year until the Sixers are a top seed in the East, and then everyone is calling you, and you can name your price. That might be what he's doing. Um, I don't think the love... You get the sense Joshua Harris is a little bit above the fray of this and was kind of roped in by the league. This is, you know, just just my opinion here, but was roped in by by the league and kind of forced his hand with Hinky and, and to bring in Colangelo. And he brought in the Colangelos who were like, all right, you guys do this, you fix it. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't... It was I the do... ultimate sleaze move. Just call it what it is. It, it... Bringing in Jerry was the ultimate sleaze move. Well, it, maybe. I mean, it. It no, it was it, like there. It's not. It's not that maybe it was like Jerry Colangelo. Okay, I, I get what you're saying. Like, Hold look, on. it doesn't help to to build any kind of of local belief in your team if you're a New York owner. Uh, than to bring in a guy who's going to you know base operations out of Arizona. Uh, I, I I don't think anybody cares about that. Look, at the end of the day. Has has Brian Colangelo done? It? Oh, it's not the end of the day. It's 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 eleven a.m. Whatever. But Colangelo, you could argue that the bringing them in and accelerating the process by maybe a year has put the Sixers in a better position. On the flip side, you know, the trade to move up and get Fultz. No one's gonna. I don't think anyone should blame Brian Colangelo for the fact that Fultz has struggled so far. Fultz was the consensus number one pick, and he went out and figured out a way to get him, I, and and did so without giving up a ton. I don't think that's an issue. I would say that thus far he has turned Nerlens Noel and Jaleel Okafor into what Justin Anderson. I know that's a problem he inherited, but and and the Sixers. This is the thing: the Sixers and Colangelo seem a little bit more eager to. Um, you know, embrace the narrative that, look, this is a problem that we inherited and we're doing our best to move on from it, more so than they're willing to embrace the narrative that, hey, we are in this enviable position because of what Sam Hinkie did. And I think more of the love loss between Hinkie and the organization is below the Joshua Harris level. I think it's obviously with the Colangelos just because they were never here and they kind of probably view him as a stooge. But I also think Scott O'Neill and his group, like, I think that going away letter from Hinky ruffled some some genuine feathers, and I get the sense that there's while you know maybe you mean, as a I'm person. I'm sorry. Do you they, mean do you mean you mean the letter that Jerry Colangelo leaked? That one, possibly yes. Let's um, be honest. But I I don't think there was a. I just don't. I feel like he ruffled some feathers, and they genuinely didn't think he was the right guy to move them forward, uh, for better or worse. So. There was a report the other day that apparently, and I don't know how legit this was from Jake Fisher of SI.com, that Hinky leading up to the Ben Simmons draft liked Brandon Ingram a little bit more than Simmons. I don't know. Would he really have not drafted the by far consensus number one pick in that situation? I doubt it. But something to consider about Hinky. Anyway, when I say the biggest question, the biggest question that I'll always have is whether or not the decision to draft Jaleel Okafor was mandated by ownership that's the one i like i think out of out of everything why because like why would joshua harris hop in for because they thought because i think at that point they wanted insurance for Embiid, and i think they they thought that jaleel would be able to help them win games sooner than porzingis would because porzingis was still this massive unknown and so like 
there there are two schools of thought on it. It's either that ownership forced it or that Sam was overthinking it and was trying to pull like a an Alfred Payton for Dario Sarge kind of trade that like he really thought that the Knicks wanted him and then the Knicks ended up just really liking Porzingis and kept him. Like I think if if I could ask Sam one question it would be that. Like was that really his choice? And if it was like fine. It, but like uh, that if that's it wasn't like my, then the organization should stop like falling back on the we inherited this problem narrative. Um, yeah. Hel- however implicitly that they do it. I'm still trying to understand why anybody seems surprised that this Julia Okafor thing has gone the way it has. Like, Brian botched this thing from day one. The fact that they haven't traded the kid, like, I, I, I said this before, I feel really bad for Ja. He keeps not, you know, he keeps being kept out of, uh, out of the loop, and it sucks. Like, I, I really do genuinely feel bad for him. Like, yeah, I, I agree. They, they, I, they blew it. Like, they, they blew it. Every timeline, every offseason, every trade deadline that they've gone, he's blown it. And and it is it's done nothing good for the organization. It's done nothing good for the team going forward. Like, you managed to take a number three overall pick and crater his value. Now, part of that is is the fact that, like, he simply does not work with Joel. But, like, for the love of God, like, Amir Johnson is playing all these minutes without Rashawn in the game. And and you can't find a single minute for Ja like that that part's wild to me like why would you not be showcasing him as a guy who as a second unit center can come in and score points that's something that you've talked about in the past like as a second unit center he's not a bad option uh the funny thing by the way with Amir Johnson is uh, I think Kevin was the one who uh, wrote up a uh, the criticism article on the website and about how Amir Johnson has now fired back at Joe DeCamera jake pavorsky and uh and hoops reference uh when they don't actually at him it's almost as if he's pulling a uh, a me and is yeah. uh you know uh, on, on on ba- you bounce this in six different spots it's, it's that's what with... i do yeah i know um the uh the the okafor thing I, it's like i feel bad for him too i know some people put it on him like look he doesn't defend and rebound well this isn't a you know, this isn't grade school. Like, if you're not good enough to crack the rotation, you're not good enough. I'm sorry that you were a third-round pick. That said, it's clear that Okafor has some level of NBA talent, if only on the offensive end, and there are plenty of teams that would take his abilities. The reason he's not paying, playing with the Sixers is because they're no longer in, hey, we could showcase this guy for a trade mode. They're a team genuinely out there competing. They're favorites in games now. Like, just playing Ja 12 minutes a night to show off his post moves and then him taking a minus nine in in those 12 minutes or whatever is not something the team wants to do. We've seen enough from Ja. There's enough tape. The problem is he's not fetching them anything now. Like, what are they going to get one second-round pick for him? Like, to me, ethically, just let the guy go. You're holding him out for almost nothing, almost out of principle at this point. You're holding on for some sort of trade. They didn't pick up his option. They'll tell you that there are teams out there who would prefer to deal with the Sixers knowing they don't have to pay Okafor next year and they could use him as a as a trial for five months. I buy that. I'm sure there are teams out there, but then get it done. Like, if that's the case, if there's teams out there like, we will only trade for this guy if we could just rent him for a few months and see what he's got, fine. Now now do it. Now trade him. Don't hold him all season and, and hold out for a higher second-round pick. I feel like it's enough is enough. Just let the kid go. He's been a good citizen. 
you know, sometimes in, in business, you know, this is with Hinky. This comes back to Hinky and Chip Kelly, the whole emotional intelligence thing. Like, you're holding out a guy you drafted third. Through no fault of his own, he was instantly third on the depth chart from day one. Just let him go. I feel like that's the right thing to do. Um, it's a huge botch job. It's something they usually only reserve for injuries. It, it like I I just feel bad for him. I yeah, really I, do I hope I do he gets too. a shot. I hope he gets a shot somewhere. But my God, if if those uh, rumors had been true about either Nerlens or Ja to uh, Boston for the pick that ended up becoming Jalen Brown were ever true, and and Brian really screwed it up that badly, then uh, that's like a fi- that is a fireable offense. We welcome in Adam Lefko. Wide awake. Hello. Wide awake. Hey, everybody. Dude, so I call it the vortex, which is when you wake up at five, like 5.45, 5.50, and there's that 10 minutes where you're waiting that if I don't start doing something, I'm going to go back and I, I can't control it. And there's that moment where you wake up and you go, oh, shit, the boys. I need to be with the boys. got to sun your boys. That's what Fridays I'm are with boys. The, Friday, Fridays are Ugh. for the boys? Fridays are, Fridays are for something. Um, so, Rohan, did, Russ, did you talk about listening to us talking about tanning your boys? No, I didn't. I, uh, I listened to it, and that was that. Where were you playing it when you were listening? Yeah, where were you listening to it? I was listening it, to it on my phone. Where? Yeah, like in in uh, at a, at a this doesn't stop. go any. I just want you guys to know yeah, this does this does nothing good for me. Okay, all right. Well, yeah, we'll there's, leave Russell alone. There's, there's nothing good about this. I was at the uh, I was at the Thursday night football game last night. You were there, man. Oh, yeah, God. it was a Jets. It was Bills. Who Jets. Was it any good? I fell asleep. Uh, I don't know. Watching sport, watching football live is weird, especially that game. You honestly don't know who won. Oh, of course I know one. Yeah, the, the Jets won by like thirty. Oh, man, what happened to all this yeah, Bills momentum we were hearing? Did they have about? Calvin Benjamin for that game? No, he was inactive. Can I get your opinion uh, on that really the quick? The defense was, was a fantastic. Was, does that trade make sense for either side? A third uh, and a seventh. I, for I have conv- I have convinced it for myself uh, why it makes sense for the Panthers now. Uh, 2015, they go 15 and one. They have a historic offense, and Calvin Benjamin had actually torn his ACL before that season. And the Panthers had success with the receivers, Philly Brown, um, Ted Ginn Jr., and a rookie Devin Funchess. And the idea that I'm kind of seeing around and thinking is that the Panthers, Cam Newton needs more space to operate, and Calvin Benjamin's really good, but. If Cal- if Cam Newton drops back six yards, Calvin Benjamin has only ran ten, and so defenses are going to keep it packed in because there's never a threat of Calvin Benjamin going deep. So the notion is is that the Panthers, with their running backs trying to get room and Christian McCaffrey trying to create space, is they want to create more space and they want guys like Curtis Samuel on the field more. And Kelvin Benjamin to kind of create more space. To me, that seems like a so coach I'm, problem if you can't make a talent like Kelvin Benjamin work in in, in an offense. I, I agree with you. Um, I also think that he was entering the final year of his rookie contract, and that I don't think they apparently Gettleman, the GM that was fired, wanted to sign him to an extension, but the front office that has come in 
since um, is not interested in him. And the GM of the Bills is the former assistant GM of the Panthers, Bean, and then McDermott's the former DC of the Panthers. So they want to play in the box. Yeah, the Bills want to play in the box. And they're down for it. And I think Tyrod really hasn't had a security blanket. And that's the idea there. One nice thing, Adam, I'm guessing you saw this, but you didn't hear it because you were at the game, was uh, when McDermott was brought up and his links to Carolina and Ron Rivera, they uh, they did mention the fact that he had uh, essentially been, uh, I guess, like an intern or whatever under Jim Johnson. And Tony Romo took a moment to acknowledge that Jim Johnson was the best defensive coordinator he ever played against, which was like a nice, yeah, that was a nice moment. Did they take a moment to acknowledge that uh, Sean McDermott called every radio station in Philadelphia campaigning for a job a few years ago? That's I don't know awesome. if they mentioned that, Kyle. I thought it was I will awesome. say this. So, like, I think you guys will appreciate this. I was like, I used to say this all the time when I would see Sean McDermott. Man, like, he was a rough DC when he was the Eagles guy. And then I'd be like, man, Nate Allen, he stunk when he was here. Kirk Coleman, he stunk when he was here. Or Patrick Chung, man, he stunk when he was here. I actually like Kirk and Coleman here. Si- Right? And then Sims used to say, you ever think that all those guys don't actually suck? That they were just a part of like a Philadelphia team that just really sucked? And I was like, man. Because all those guys, like I had so many doubts about Sean McDermott and Nate Allen and Patrick Chung. And yet I see these guys go other places and have success. And it just makes you realize like, Damn, those ending of the Andy Reid era when he was doing that shit with Juan Castillo, like, that was a lot of bad fucking head coaching by Andy This Reed. is why people who, like, now are like, well, see, we should have kept Reid around. I think you, they forget how dreadful Good those point. last two or three years were and how weird. Like, everyone needed a change. The Juan Castillo thing, the Dream Team thing. There was that, just that, a lot of weird To me, that was the yeah. end. Like, the fact that Andy was in his head so much that he has convinced himself that his offensive line coach, because he watches a lot of defensive film, is capable of being the defensive coordinator. Yeah, that was a weird part. That that whole time with the dream team, you're right. That's, that yeah. He needed to That's go. a story that only happens in Philadelphia. It's like it's yeah. almost as stupid as losing to the worst team in hockey on your home ice and then going and shutting out the second best team last night. Oh, here comes worldwide right? genocide. No, I was I'm about to go saying, Sixers that's my and Russ, that's Russ my, that's my only point. I do have a Sixers point before I go, before yeah. I worldwide genocide out of here. Go ahead. Uh, right now, I'm pulling, I pulled up the uh, NBA rookie leaders in every statistical category. Right now, Ben Simmons is far and away the best rookie, which we already knew. But he's leading this rookie class in points, rebounds, and assists. He is fourth overall in field goal percentage. He's absurd, and I love him. The end. Did, did you, are there any rookies right now that are even uh, in that conversation for rookie? No, of the Lon, year? Lonzo Ball is well, averaging. No, he's. I mean, he would be the closest thing. He's averaging what ten, seven, and six, or something like that. What's His, Tatum averaging? Uh, Tatum right now is averaging just under 14 points per game, six and a half rebounds per game, and I'm looking to see if he has any assists. Less than about about Fucking two about two assists a game. Did, I will point out the fact that like yeah, Lonzo Lonzo's averaging seven assists. It's he has seven per game. Simmons has eight per game. The biggest revelation I think is like Laurie Markkinen, who came out of nowhere. Like yeah. I remember when we did the draft day show. 
that was a really confusing it felt like a confusing trade and the fact that they seem to push all the chips in on Laurie Markinen, but he's having a good start to his year. But Ben right now is so is by far such a superior prospect and a superior player. He legitimately to me looks like a guy who's in and his fourth year. A year older. Yeah, but like I know that that's the thing. Like, I know that there's something to be said for spending a year on the road and, like, getting to learn what the NBA life is like. And a year of weightlifting. No, so, I hate but, like, that. But, I, hold he, on. but he, legitimately, he legitimately looks like a fourth-year vet. Hold on. I got to go. Kyle, go go bye. ahead and get angry. I you hate some Put some I, coconut oil on your temples. It'll make you feel better. I hate It'll this narrative. Stress you. I hate this narrative that – because I tweeted this yesterday. People are comparing Ben Simmons' first eight games to LeBron James's, And they're like, well, LeBron was 18. Okay, LeBron was also playing more minutes per game, um, and he was also like, yes, is is does being older help? Does having traveled with an NBA team for a year help? So what? There's a thousand mitigating circumstances for everybody. He's still only 21. At the very worst, he would be like a junior coming out of college and a guy leaving early and putting up these numbers at his age. It's not like he's he's 24. He's not um, he's not like a Reese Hoskins who's like 24, 25. And you're like, okay, this guy's a little bit old for a rookie. Like he's still 21 years old. He's well within rookie age range. I know that he got to travel with the team. He also didn't play basketball for over a year. He hadn't played in a genuinely competitive game in like 15 months. I think there's something to be said for that too. So when you want to compare him with LeBron, oh. like I get it. LeBron was 18. Um, whatever. LeBron was also playing more minutes. He was basically just like given free reign to do whatever he wanted on that team. Like it's totally fair to compare those two players. It Simmons might be the first player in a while that could genuinely be said has LeBron skill set. He's also bigger, um, which I think goes a long way. He's a couple inches taller, um, and he's every bit as physically mature at this, at least as LeBron was as he was approaching the age of twenty. Oh, I don't need to be sold on Ben Simmons. No, I know. Like, There's people dude, tweeting me Kyle, about this. Kyle, Kyle, like, pissed. you, oh, I gotcha. Dude, so you know Maurice at Bleacher yes. Report. Literally what my routine has been every day is when I walk in the office, I'm walking in, and he, I, when I walk in, I see his desk, and we look at each other, and we just go, Ben fucking Simmons. And then I go to my desk because... I mean, that dunk the other night was unbelievable off his off foot, jumping a little bit extra higher to dunk over somebody. It was unbelievable. I'm just saying that I've always kind of thought that Ben Simmons and or someone in his position shouldn't be up for rookie of the year just because there was no option to take him in this draft. And for me, like, you get an opportunity to win rookie of the year one time. And all the guys that came out in the draft, like right now, the Sixers, if we are going to win Rookie of the Year, we're just going to gloss over the fact that, like, right now, we didn't, it seems like we didn't make the right pick uh, at first in the draft for, for Markel Fultz. Uh, I, I feel like your well, take no. is so insane on two different levels there. Okay. Well, so my main thing, though, is, is if you come out in this year's draft and this is your one year to win Rookie of the Year, but there was a guy from last year's draft that didn't play. I don't know. It just seems like a kid's being held back. But I'm willing to bet you can find, you know, like. I'm sure it's happened before. Sure, it's happened before. And there's probably plenty of circumstances of guys winning rookie of the year in their first year and going up against every year there's players who for some reason missed their first year or whatever, delayed, went to York. Like, 
There's got to be plenty of these circumstances. I don't think that's reasonable. If Simmons has been, like, it's his first year in the NBA, regardless of what you, when you came into the league, you're still playing your first NBA game. Like, the only advantage he has is being able to practice with the team. On the flip... Oh, I'm sure there's been like a 26-year-old rookie of the year from like overseas or right. something. I mean, I think it's more fair to go in college. Go back to Carl Krauser at Pitt. He was like 26 playing in the Big East tournament. Um, to me, that's more unfair than anything in the NBA. But you also have guys who've... You know, if you're Ben Simmons, you played at LSU, a pretty dreadful college team. Then you sat out a year. Does he have more of an advantage coming in by having practice with an NBA team than, say, someone who was playing the last three years deep into the NCAA tournament, competitive basketball, and good teams? Like, I don't know. Probably Simmons still has the advantage traveling with an NBA team being in their in their program, as Brett Brown calls it. But I, I, I disagree with you on that, and I'm not ready to say that we made the wrong pick in Fultz. He was the consensus number one pick. His skill set, watching this team now, and if we ever do get Markel Fultz's skill set that we all expected, he's the perfect player for this team. They had to go up and get him. It was the right move to go up and get him because if he turns out to be the player everyone thought he was going to be, or even 80% of it, he's the perfect complement or you know, compadre of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. I'm not ready to write him off yet. Like Everyone's high on Tatum. Tatum all along. I actually went back. I was listening to our podcast the other day, and when it finished, so it's like, oh, so Ben Simmons is pretty much doing the Blake Griffin. What do you mean? Blake Griffin missed his first year, and then he came in 2010, 2011, and his second year was actually his rookie year, and so he won there. Yeah, I just want to see who he was. Oh yeah. No, my thing is, is like I, Ben Simmons is going to win Rookie of the Year, and I'm going to celebrate it like a motherfucker, and it's going to be great. I'm just if I'm Alonzo Ball, like I'm, I know Lavar is going to end up doing this. I'm already going to predict Fuck it. Man. That if I'm if I'm Lavar Ball, I'm going. I'm making a stick. Fuck him. That's just what I would do. But you can't say fuck him. I just hypothetically made up a situation that he's going to do. Like I don't know he's going to do that. But if I was Lavar Ball, I would make a stink. But I'm not, so I'm going to root loud as hell for Ben Simmons when he wins. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I could, could not care less about LeVar's ball's feelings. I know you're just, it's a hypothetical. Um, the, the, yeah. f- here's the thing. So anyway, I listened to our podcast the other day, and when it finishes, I use Overcast. It goes back to like the oldest episode that you haven't finished. And it just happened to be our draft episode when we had um, Jonathan wow. Wasserman or whatever. Um, yes. And it was right at the part where he was talking about rating his his rookie guys. And he it like literally came in at the part where he said, I would put Tatum seventh overall. I have him slotted seventh. And oh. I kind of laughed. And then I thought, and then I kind of kept listening. And I remembered that at the time, everyone was in agreement that Tatum was, in terms of NBA readiness, probably head and shoulders above anybody else in the top ten in terms of his skill set being able to come in on day one and contribute to an NBA roster. And I think that's what we're seeing. And with someone like Fultz, Lonzo has been good, but you know, it, a little bit. He's got a wide range of outcomes in a given game. Um, I think with Tatum, we're just saying, hey, this guy's pretty good and consistent, and like, wow, maybe everyone should have picked him. But we're seeing more right. Michael Carter Williams, Jaleel Okafor—not Michael Carter Williams—but we're seeing like that Jaleel Okafor effect. Like, wow, this guy's good. What's his ceiling? Well, his ceiling's actually—it might be really close to what we're already seeing. You know, Fultz. Right. We just forgot. Fultz is like his skill set. Let's assume that his shoulder is impacting his shot. 
if if he just finds the shot, everything else will fall into place. He, he's not he hasn't lost his speed or his spin move or his size. Like he's a pretty good help defender. We've seen just in a handful of um, summer and preseason games. I'm not ready to write off that pick yet at all because he would be he's going to be if he's good that that trio is going to be un, literally unstoppable. They're going to be so goddamn. That is good. really. I love stuff like I love stuff like human beings forgetting that we've been told something for four months. I think those those things are hilarious. The fact that four months is like Tatum's ready right now. These guys might be better in the future. Tatum's ready right now. Fultz will be better in the future. And then like the first preseason game starts, we're like, wow, like who missed on Tatum? Two months. And Summer like, league. You know, the summer league yeah, games. It's just same thing. It's just really funny that you're right. That stuff happens, and we forget the lessons that we've been teaching ourselves. Yeah, pretty much. Um, that dunk the other night, I think, was Simmons' official arrival moment. He's probably going to have a few mm. this year. But that was uh, that. He, I mean, if you watch, he changed hands in midair. He started to go left, brought it back right. He did that on a layup earlier in the game. That's a really impressive thing that he does. Um, because he appears to be somewhat ambidextrous, it's like layups with the right, yes. shooting with the left. But he looks like he's always he's always about to go left, and then he pulls it over to his right. It's really there. And that also for me was him being like, "Yo, left go, shut the fuck up about thinking I'm not tough. Let me smash this on somebody." There's already a, a dunk highlight reel of Simmons, and you forget that eight games in, he's actually had a few. A lot of them were breakaway dunks, but those breakaways were earned by the fact that he's just faster than everybody which is, is something to be said. There was a poll from WIP, they're John Johnson, Joe Giglio, one of the, one of the JJs, JGs, whatever, the Jews. Um, who has the higher ceiling, Embiid or Simmons? And after like 500 votes, it was 70-30 in favor of Simmons. Your thoughts? Ooh. I have been saying all along that I think well, since since that first game, that I think Simmons is the one with the real investment in him, because um, <coughs> it's like, man, if Simmons can really develop that shot, then there isn't anything he can't do. And I look at Joel Embiid and I go, I see limitations in his handle and his shot, uh, just because of how big he is. I think that I think. Embiid can have more dominant performances, but I think Simmons can have all-around better game. And I mean, I've never seen like like he is our he is the point center. You know, he's what everyone talked about about Magic Johnson for 30, 40 years, except he's four inches taller, five inches, six inches taller. Um, yeah, I I would go Simmons. I really mm-hmm. would. Dogs hocking up a hairball. Um, he's he's Ooh. second in the league in points in the paint behind Giannis and ahead of LeBron James and Carl Anthony Towns as a quote unquote point guard. Downright scary. I think answering the question, you have to consider like the semantics of it. If you just go by ceiling, it is purely who has the absolute highest upside, regardless of everything else. Irregardless isn't a word. I'm an idiot. Um, I guess you could still would say Embiid. If, but there's so many ifs. It's like if he's healthy, if this, if that. If he's fully healthy and plays 70-plus games per year and averages 35-plus minutes per game, he probably has the higher ceiling just by the fact that 
he's so like, there's a, there's an element of him that's unstoppable and matchup proof, kind of like Gronk in that regard. Like it, you know, there's a health concern there, but when they're playing and healthy, no matter who you throw at him, he's just going to be more physically dominant. Then, on the flip side, if you really want to factor in realism and likelihood and overall athleticism, like I think the answer might be Ben Simmons. It is Ben Simmons if you factor in all those things. Like he just has, there's nothing he can't do. The jump shot will come. It's not so broken that you're like, this guy's never going to be a shooter. He's tall enough to get it off. His form is fine. He's just got to have a little more confidence in it and, and develop his, I'm more concerned about his free throw than his jump shot. Like he, you, if that guy ever hits 80% from the free throw line, he's going to be, he's going to put up 32 a night. To me, I feel like his, his ceiling is higher just because you could actually genuinely see him becoming one of the greatest of all time. Whereas with Embiid, you're like, yes. he's got that talent, but there's just such doubt there that it's ever going to come in a sustainable way. Um, so it's a good problem to have. I, when it's Ben Simmons – oh, it's amazing to have both of them for sure, yeah. When, when Ben Simmons starts a fast break, it's – it's like watching a species and then watching the human race. Like it's he is the closest thing that I've seen to like an avatar um, where he just he takes one step and it's like three norm like human steps. And then he hesitates and like he makes plays where he makes other NBA players look like other just random NBA players. Like that dunk the other night, like everyone on the Pacers got reduced to rubble. Like it's Fuck. just, it, it really is some special shit. And um, it really is a blessing that we get to watch these guys on a nightly basis. He had one against Dallas where he drove in from the side at like a, maybe a 60 degree angle, jump stopped in the paint, but his jump stop itself had like an elbow on it. Like he, he went to the low block jumped slightly closer to the restricted area into the middle at an angle and then off of that leaped up and dunked it in like one one quick move and when you go back and watch it it was in his the dunk highlight reel go find it just go look at his highlights from the dallas game and it's got to be in there it's seriously disgusting that anybody could do that but occasionally you'll see it from small quick guards pull off a jump stop like that hop skip and and go up but for a guy who's who's pushing seven feet to dribble himself into the into the low block, hop into the center sideways, and then leap, spring up, and dunk the ball with authority, that's it's downright scary. And people, his effort thing, and this isn't your thing about his aggressiveness, but I think all along there was some concern that, hey, he's kind of a nonchalant superstar, he's easygoing at LSU, all this stuff. To me, on the floor, it look, I have yet to see a player they've played against look more determined to win a game and play from the first whistle to the final whistle as consistently as Ben Simmons has. Like, I think Avatar is a good way to put it because he's so consistent in his effort and determination. And he, it, not that he doesn't take plays off, but he makes very few of those nonchalant rookie mistakes. Like, we saw it from Fultz instantly. We still see it from Embiid when at times they get a little careless with the ball. Simmons has done it a few times, but usually from rookies, you could expect like four turnovers a game just by underestimating how quick NBA players are. Simmons isn't doing that. Like he's totally consistent in his effort and is clearly a leader on the team 
from day one, just in the way he carries himself, is in his intensity. Like, there's nothing about him that looks like a rookie. He looks like a veteran playing a playoff game almost every single minute of every single game. Um, I think yeah. we've, like, alleviated those concerns with him. And the avid, it's and so he awesome. moves. Like, you're, you're talking... Well, like the thing is, though, he almost looks nonchalant. He's not at all, and not like Fultz genuinely feels nonchalant out there. But Simmons is just so much quicker than everyone, and it's it looks so effortless. Where you're like, hold, like it, it, it almost like LeBron when he's going. It, it LeBron is you could tell he's like he looks like he's exerting a lot of effort a lot of times. And this isn't to say Simmons is better than LeBron. But it comes so damn naturally to Simmons. It's it's frightening. And he does it with such little emotion most of the time. It's Avatar is, is the best way I've heard it described. Yeah, he is. He's got some poise. I'm going to see him in person tonight. Are you coming down? They're in Philly. They're home, right? I am coming down. Nice. Pop's birthday. Me and my brother taking him to a game. Where are you uh, sitting? I'm going to watch. Uh, I have no idea. I just went on Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster? You did not go on Ticketmaster. I've been screwed by SeatGeek You can't before. get tickets on Ticketmaster for the Sixers. I really? Did. What is it, like their secondary? Why did you not go to StubHub? <laughs> they sell their... Oh, I don't know. I, that's the problem is I have like all the apps on my phone, and it's whichever one popped up first. I didn't know Ticketmaster. So can you resell on Ticketmaster? I guess so. No kidding. You uh, might be the only yeah. person this season who will buy Sixers tickets on <laughs> Ticketmaster. Yeah, well, now I know. <laughs> I had no idea. Chris Hack and um, the Sixers are yeah, so angry at you for even stating that. How dare you not use StubHub? Oh, oh, I, oh they have a StubHub logo on their jersey. Not even that. It's, it's, it's blending their tickets with the secondary tickets. It's like... Yeah, they fucked up. <laughs> they fucked up big. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so I'm going to go down, and I'm excited. I just I want to see him in person, and I feel like... Ben's going to be one of those guys where you think he's big, and then you go to the game, and you're like, holy shit, he's huge, and I'm excited for that. Yeah, well, it sounds like a fun night. Uh, Sixers should be, I'm guessing, their favorites tonight against the Pacers. Ooh, fucking yeah. That way, let's... Rick Smith's looking motherfuckers. No line. No line yet on Fantasy Labs. Uh, what else did you guys talk about today? So we talk- <coughs> Excuse me. We talked about Gabe Kapler's introductory press conference for a little while. How do you do? <laughs> you got to watch it. <laughs> Excuse me. Really? Maybe the pneumonia is coming back. Go on. Um, I have a recap, but in the recap, I have the full press conference from the Phil's Facebook page. Okay, I'll Did watch Did you it. see Howard Eskin ask him about the coconut oil, at least? It was everywhere. No. Where have you been? Oh, my God. I was at the game, and I was working, and it was oh. a lot. I was drinking. So, yeah, so I tweeted out a video. Uh, Russ was telling me it wound up on SI. It got a lot of retweets, but... You could fi- just Google Eskin coconut oil and okay. um, oh, Howard God. Eskin. Howard Eskin asked Gabe Kapler about coconut oil. He addressed the elephant in the room, and then he mentioned the phrase coconut oil. And Kapler handled himself exceedingly well. Um, of course, he did. You have to watch it though. He is a unique hard ass. Um, oh, so that's awesome. mostly what we talked about. That little bit of Sixers, and then you popped on. We're, we're not as tight uh, without you. Eagles, Broncos. What is your prediction? Uh, look, it's an eight-point line. I'm, I'm showing seven and a half still on Fantasy Labs, okay. but they might be a little slow to update. At, at seven and a half, I have sixty-five percent of the action on the Eagles. Um, so I, I like I like the birds in this. I'm a little bit concerned. 
we don't know how much JHI is going to play. There's definitely a question mark there. I'm a little bit cons- I'm definitely concerned about Big V as, at left tackle. This is this will be a genuine test without Jason Peters. Definitely. But the the I mean Brock Osweiler and the Broncos offense is is not going to be able to put up any sort of consistent points against the Eagles. So for the Broncos to have a chance in this game, they're going to need a pick six or a a very deep in Eagles territory turnover, maybe multiple. Yeah, the fact that we get to face Brock Osweiler is just so gorgeous and beautiful and wonderful. Uh, I, I think the Eagles defense is going to destroy the Broncos, and I think that the Broncos defense is going to make it really tough for the Eagles. Uh, the Broncos defense is unbelievable. They're, like, There's a part of me that thinks that if J.J. plays and has a big game, Philadelphia might explode because the Broncos have shut down every running back they face this year except Orleans Darqua, which I still don't understand what happened with the Giants. Um but at the same point, this is, I mean, you can't run on the Broncos. You can barely throw on the Broncos. And if Doug Peterson can draw up stuff to work, oh, I mean, the, the Broncos literally just played the more advanced version of the Eagles offense and the Chiefs. So I feel like they'll be ready. But I also feel like Carson Wentz is the more physically advanced version of Alex Smith. So I think the Eagles win too um, as well. Uh, if they, if everyone needs me to pick the Broncos, like I picked, I bet on the Broncos on Bleacher Report just because I'm the mush. So I'm going to bet against the Eagles to do my part. But um, man, yeah, not even just Holly Pulley Valley Vitae. I want to see how uh, Lane Johnson does against Von Miller because Von Miller predominantly plays on his side. And it's going to be a huge battle, but I'm excited. This is a great test before the bye. Really good test. One thing I think, the obviously the Broncos are a tough matchup for, for any running back duo, any running back, any running back committee. JJ has been here for a few days. He's probably not going to play the workload that he will eventually play. And he's going up against arguably the toughest opponent to establish a running game against. So I think what we might see is a pretty disappointing outing from Njai and people. Of course, the, yeah, I agree. the local knucklehead contingent immediately starting to question the move. And then what's going to happen is we're going to have a bye week, and he's going to get to learn the playbook. And That's then he's going to, you know, he's going to so he's going to play the Broncos. Not going to get a lot of touch. Going to have a bye week, and then he's going to come back and rake for a few weeks. So I look for this narrative next week if he has like 42 yards on eight touches or nine touches, ten touches, something like that, for people to be disappointed, and then for him to come back bad. after the bye week and just shred. That's actually not bad. That's like 4.2, 4.4, 4.6 yeah, yards that, of carry. So when this trade happened, uh, me and Simmons didn't talk about anything, and then we did our show, and we went trade by trade. And when we got to JJ, he said, this is my favorite trade. I said, really? I said, I wasn't sure. I said, look, Sims, there's a big concern right now that there won't even be running lanes uh, for JJ, and it hasn't been there. And Sims said, Lefko, for the last few weeks, there have been running lanes for the Eagles that LeGarrette Blunt and Corey Clement just aren't hitting. He goes, I watch the film, the hole opens up, I go, oh shit, here we go, and they don't get there fast enough. 
And when they got Ajayi, the first thing I thought was they finally have a guy to hit all the holes that have been closing up. And I haven't heard anybody else say that. And uh, it made me more excited. But, you know, it's Jay Ajayi is a next level of runner compared to the guys that we have. And it's good to use LeGarrette Blunt when people are already tired. But... Uh, I'm, I'm super excited. I don't know if he plays. It's the age-old question of how much do you really need to know as a running back, or is it, hey, run left, and then you tell everybody else where to go. So we'll find out. But, uh, yeah, have a little patience. We're 7-1 and one with a bye week next week. It's okay if it doesn't work out right away against the number one run defense in the NFL. Our, um, <coughs> excuse me. How do So – I know we had the big show a few weeks ago where I had to come on and admit that I was wrong about LeGarrette Blunt. I believe it was after his, uh, I guess it was the Panthers game, 14 attempts, 67 yards, and he looked pretty decent. Yeah. How many? Um, no, you were wrong. I, I was wrong. But are, are we going to look back at the Blunt thing as a two-thirds of, ex, of a season fill-in player who quickly gets – Eclipsed by Jay Jay Ajayi, like <clears throat> obviously the blunt yeah, signing. Yeah, you can't. You can't. Obviously, it was a good one. Yeah. He was cheap, and he he's done his job for for half the season on en route to a seven and one record. But in the grand scheme of things, are we going to look back at him as like the ultimate plug in player who, in hindsight, really wasn't that great? Like when you go through his numbers here, like he was great. Well, Kyle. I don't know if he was great, and I'm not trying to like reverse course here. He's done he's done a better job than I expected, and he's done a a good job in his role on this team. But when you really go back and look at it, he had one game, 16 touches, 136 yards, which obviously stands out. He has two total touchdowns on a, as the lead back on a 7-1 and one team, and he's basically getting like 14 touches per game and, and averaging somewhere, uh, I'm just looking at game logs here, like in the 60-yard range. Yeah, but I'm more looking at it as like the Giants game. He set the tone in week three and like got us all that momentum back with his big runs. And the Chargers game, he had that 70-yard run that that in essence broke the back of the Chargers. The Arizona game, he had that second or third quarter run, which just kind of like led to like a 21-0 lead or whatever it was, like a 27-7. Carolina, he had like... Like he's just been the back the backbreaker for all of these games, and I feel like he's had really impactful plays. That when you look back at the end of the season, we're gonna go, oh, he went from eighteen touchdowns to six. But if you look at a game by game, I think he had like a motivational slash like tide turning play that was necessary for all of those wins. I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, my counter to that, and I'm not, I'm not trying to hail on Garrett Blunt here. My counter to that would be, are we, <clears throat> you know, on a good team, there's going to be a lot of players who have a lot of big plays. Um, we could probably look at five or six guys on the Eagles who have plays that you could point to that were, you know, impactful and important in wins. And Blunt certainly had a few, but as the lead back on a seven and one team, that shouldn't be a surprise. Like it should be like, yes, you know, yes, our running back has had a few big plays that were impactful. I think our, you know, we were so down on Blunt after the preseason and the first few games that when he came out for those handful of games in late September and early October and racked up a couple of impressive runs, scored a touchdown, um, ground the game out late, 
were we sort of like overvaluing what he did because we were expecting so little from him by that point that we're like, oh, holy shit, Blunt actually is still a professional NFL runner. Like, should we not expect well, our that, running back that, to occasionally break off a 20-yard run to you know to save a drive? I think it was more the fact that we've been using a four-man rotation and in the Kansas City game, he got one carry. Like, he can't control the amount of carries he got. I think the Kansas City game is the game where all of this shit, like, kind of came to a head. Where, like, the Washington game, he actually had... It was an okay game. He had the touchdown, was good around the goal line, and then did nothing against Kansas City. But that wasn't his fault. Um, I just think they've utilized the running backs in an interesting way. He has not been run... Like a like a lead running back, he's the most getting like 14 carries a game, and they've just been trying to do Wendell Smallwood when he's healthy, and then Clement, and then uh, I mean, shoot, we even had Darren Sproles for a few weeks. Like we've had a lot of running backs touching yeah, the ball. No, totally, totally fair. And and to your point, uh, setting aside the Chiefs game, his his carry totals are, and to Doug's credit, have been very consistent. 14, 12, 16, 14, 14, 14, 16. And that's, that last 16 was against the Niners. Yeah, that is yep, his that, range. It absolutely is. Uh, all right. Any, anything else to add? What did you think of the Doug Peterson clip where he was getting angry at the offense on the San Francisco game? I, and he was like, and he said, I don't, frickin'. I got to be honest. I don't trust the guy who uses frickin'. Mm-hmm. Brian Dawkins no, says, frickin'. says frickin'. No, he does Bullshit. not. You did not know that Brian Dawkins never cursed oh, on the field. Come on. And he said, "And he said, frickin'. I need a video clip of Brian Dawkins saying frickin'. And he says, "And he says, dog god." It's it. one thing if you don't curse; it's another thing if you use frickin'. And he says, "God damn." I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm switching to "God damn." I, I don't mind. I don't mind but the not cursing. He thing. says, "Frickin'." I do mind frickin' to me just. Russ uses it, and I know Russ can't curse for for employment reasons. I don't like frickin'. Whenever I hear someone say frickin', it so makes let me, me ask you: So is Brian Dawkins so much of a baller that he can he can by himself make frickin' okay? You find me Brian Dawkins saying frickin' or freaking. Oh, do that shit right. right now. You you for. The, <laughs> I'll tweet. I'll this tweet will be, it. Yeah, this is our homework for Monday. If you find me Brian Dawkins saying frickin', I'll get over it. Yeah, I thought the video was good. Um, I, you know, they're always good, especially in a win. Like there's, there's never anything to dislike about them. Um, of course, leave it to me to find it. Uh, no, I thought Peterson was good. Um, I enjoyed him talking to John Lynch about Carson Wentz twice. Peterson joked that the coaching staff, uh, doesn't want to screw up the players. He did it with John Lynch and he mentioned it to Brandon Graham. See what happens when you overcome your coaches. So I I appreciate the self-deprecating humor. I liked him getting mad. He did drop a shit in there and there was a, I guess it wasn't even a player, like a staffer behind him guy with glasses who was frightened when Doug Peterson yelled and he looked at him like that guy has never yelled before which I thought was an interesting reaction because it wasn't like that much of an outburst um but I do not you know if you're an NFL head coach I feel like you should curse so I don't really trust the guy that uses dang it and gosh and freaking as a coach but the freaking really bothers me I don't know why I just hate that phrase it's really funny. I can't find anything right now, but no I'll find you. it. Uh, the other, other thing that I want to mention is um, Sims on his halfway all-NFL team 
had Brandon Brooks as a starting guard. And I was like, Sims, really? He goes, dude, he's a fucking monster. He's like, Brandon Brooks is enormous. Nobody talks about him. And he's been fantastic this year. He said all, a lot of the big runs have come off of Brandon Brooks. And he's great in pass. And his big phrase that he always tells me is, Brandon Brooks never loses. Uh, that even if he's facing a guy um, that's really, really good, like he won't face a Fletcher Cox. But if he was facing you know, a really good defensive tackle, his worst plays are stalemates. So just uh, an Eagles player that I haven't heard getting a lot of love uh, apparently has been kicking ass this year. And, and I'm not a big person that trusts pro football focus grades. So uh, I just thought that was a positive note to pass Here, Here's something to consider. The fact that we haven't talked about him, right? Like to me, that is the sign of success at his position. Do you agree? Like yeah. the fact that we're not yes and no. mentioning yeah, offensive mean, linemen, to me that it's like it's like not mentioning a referee. It's like not mentioning a free safety. If you don't say their name, chances are they're doing something well. I also want to say that like I think the most shit on Eagle in the last two years for absolutely no reason is Jason Kelsey. And I think he's been playing so well. And I think it always annoyed me because um, when when I would watch I would like hear all these things about a Jason Kelsey sucked and then I'd watch the film and I'd be like they're asking Jason Kelsey to snap the ball and then run to the outside of Indomitian Sue who was lined up next to him like the Chip Kelly era would ask him to do these like ridiculous bullshit and then people would be like he just doesn't have it anymore and all offseason was about trading him and he's played great and I just think he deserves it he has it and he's always been Plus, plus at getting out and leading a rush and getting downfield. Oh. I mean, it's it's impressive for a guy his size. There were a number of uh, over the course of two two and a half years of him making like markedly noticeably bad snaps on shotgun plays that were just inexcusable yeah. for his position. But he hasn't made them this year. That Chip Kelly fucking <laughs> offense so and dumb. He moved, and he did miss. So there were dumb. some plays where he clearly missed somebody. But again, you could blame that on on the scheme or whatever. But it did happen last year. There were snaps last year. We're like, Jesus Christ, man, come on! Like you have you have one job or two, I guess. Um, but yeah, he's he's been good. Same thing. We haven't mentioned his name. That's a good yeah. sign. And I would I would I hope Fletcher Cox gets some defensive MVP votes this year. It's hard because it usually goes to pass rushers that have big sack numbers um, or are corners with a lot of interceptions or they just give it to Luke Keekley and call it a day. But Fletcher Cox has been fucking incredible. And, uh, you know, that's this is the problem about having a guy like Carson Wentz. It's the gift and the curse is that the Eagles are 7-1 and one and people go, Carson Wentz, he's great. Carson Wentz, he's great. And you're like... The Eagles have a top five defense and no one's talking about it because everyone wants to talk about our amazing quarterback, which is great. Like, I'm happy about it. But the Eagles quietly have a top five defense, and I just want them the credit too. Fair enough. Should we wrap? Yeah, yeah that sounds good. Uh, thanks for letting me come in late. It was thanks great. Thanks for coming late. I have a lot more. Yeah, man, a little, little 40 minutes. A little Z's feeling good. Your homework um, for the weekend, besides the Dawkins thing, is to is finding a video. Is of, also oh, is also else? telling me what the phrase yeah, "come on their home turf" means. 
Uh, what do you well, mean? Either have to listen back to the pot, or you have to determine what that phrase means. Fuck. Uh, I would just say that they have to come onto their home turf, like they're mm-hmm. an away team. All right, I'll, I'll yep. listen. I gotta listen. Okay. So do you. Hopefully, everyone else listened. Uh, guys, Thanks enjoy to Cozy Jewelers for being Go Birds. Yes, Cozy. Uh, I'm gonna have to match crossing up soon. broad. Imagine no. crossing broad. You'll save five hundred dollars. Yeah. What do I get? Five hundred bucks. Yeah, that's Cost a deal and a half. Oof. Cozy, I need you. All right. Have a good weekend, everybody. Love y'all.